Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another really good revision history podcast with me, Mr. Hutchison. And uh, we're continuing with John's reign for this podcast, focusing on her, why he fell out with the Pope, the interdict and excommunication. Um, probably a good idea if you've skipped the last podcast about John's fall, uh, well, how John lost Normandy. Uh, probably a good idea that you go back and listen to that one if you haven't or if you're not sure of the history there because it does kind of all link together, uh, you know, the John part um, of this course. So it might be worth going back. But if not, you're here and you're ready to rock, then uh, we will move on into why he fell out with the Pope. So here we go. Following the fall of Normandy in 1205 now, so Normandy falls in 1204. In 1205, he has another problem. Okay, this time he falls out with the Pope. Now, that phrase alone should make you realize what a, what, what a big deal this is in medieval times. It's never clear, folks, in medieval times who is in charge of a country. Is it the king or the Pope? Very difficult. The Pope is the head of the Catholic Church. Okay, God's representative on earth. And, you know, if you are a staunch very strong, very religious Catholic, then you will look to the Pope as the head of the church, God's representative, God's word. Okay. But at the same time, the king in your country, you know, particularly if you're a baron, he's the one that has used his patronage to give you power. Okay. And, and money and lands and castles and titles. So if the Pope says one thing and you're a staunch Catholic and your king says something else, what do you do? What do you do? Well, there is no clear guideline, folks. No clear guideline. And really, it was down to individual popes how much they interfered with the running of individual countries. Now, it just so happened that during John's reign, he comes up against an extremely militant pope. Okay, a pope that really likes to sort of stick his nose in individual countries' business. He, he thinks that he rules Christendom and he's going to, you know, impose his will as he likes it, as he sees fit. Whereas Henry II and Richard came up against popes that were slightly less aggressive, I suppose, slightly less militant. And so you could sort of, you know, look at this as being slightly unlucky for John. But anyway, this is King John versus a pope, hilariously, by the name of Pope Innocent III. Couldn't be a better name. What a fantastic irony there, Pope Innocent III. Not saying he's guilty of anything, but, you know, certainly quite aggressive, militant Pope. So they fall out. They fall out, folks. Okay, and it causes an argument which goes on until 1213. Okay, so the best part of sort of, you know, like eight years, this quarrel goes on. And again, just like the fall of Normandy, this has huge consequences for John and, and arguably makes him more unpopular. So what's the argument about? The argument's all about the Archbishop of Canterbury. Okay. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury is almost like the second in command in England. He's a representative of the Pope in England. So he's head of the Catholic Church, but specifically for England rather than the whole of Christendom. Now, in medieval times, the Archbishop of Canterbury is basically like the second in command as well. Often the Archbishop of Canterbury was left in control of the kingdom if the king left the country. And he was supposed to sort of be the king's sort of chief advisor as well. 
So the king would want somebody they trust as their archbishop. They want to be able to have a good relationship with them. They want to be able to sort of run the country together. Now, Henry II chose his own archbishops. In fact, if you're a history nut, you'll know that Henry II killed Thomas Beckett, who was the archbishop. Um, you know, he got punished. He did some penance for it, but effectively got away with that. Killed an archbishop, right? Richard chose his own archbishop, Hubert Walter, who was very successful. When Hubert Walter dies in 1215, John assumes that he will just pick his next archbishop. Why wouldn't he? It's been the convention. It's what's always happened in England. So when he puts forward his choice to the Catholic Church, first of all, the monks in England, the religious sort of priests, the monks of Canterbury, reject John's choice. They don't want him which is shocking to John. So John turns to the Pope and asks him for help. He's saying, you know, I need some help here that the Popes won't accept who I want as Archbishop. And instead of supporting King John or even supporting the monks, Pope Innocent interestingly turns around and sort of says, no, you're both wrong. I want my man in charge and proposes a third option, a man by the name of Stephen Langton, who... The Pope wants in charge, he's intelligent, he's a holy man and very pious and Pope Innocent thinks he's the right man for the job. John refuses. John absolutely refuses. Okay, Pope Innocent's outraged. As far as he sees, the kings of Europe, the kings of Christendom should obey the Pope's orders. But John feels this is unfair because his brother and his father were both allowed to choose their archbishop and the Pope shouldn't interfere with the individual sort of politics, if you like, of the country. But here is Pope Innocent doing exactly that. So Pope Innocent puts forward Stephen Langton, John refuses. He refuses to accept him. He doesn't like Stephen Langton. He spent too much time in Paris, too much time in France, um, and he doesn't trust him. He wants his own man. Of course, John is famous for appointing his best friends uh, using patronage to positions of power. So he refuses. Now as a direct result of this, as a direct result of this, um, in 1208, despite the fact that Stephen Langton in 1207 is appointed Archbishop of Canterbury, John won't let him in the country. John doesn't accept him. So in 1208, Pope Innocent places the country under what's called an interdict. Now, an interdict is when the churches are shut. Quite literally, the churches are closed. So, what does that mean? That means that you can't gain access to a church and you can't take place, or you, the, the Christian sacraments are basically banned. So what we mean is, um, no sermons, no church sermons, no baptisms, no marriages, no Christian burials, no Holy Communions. If you can't have a... Oh, sorry, Holy Communion, no, no, yeah, no baptisms. So if a child can't be baptized, can't un, un, enter the Catholic Church. If you can't have a Christian burial, you can't enter heaven, folks. Now remember, in medieval times, everyone was deeply religious. Of course, there were good Catholics and bad Catholics, but everybody was religious. They all believed. So if you couldn't practice your religion, 
you were condemning your soul to hell for eternity. So you'd imagine that this makes John really unpopular. Actually, it does with some people. Of course, some people would be outraged by this, but a lot of people actually support the king as well. And people don't stop practicing their religion. If you're deeply religious, you're going to practice your religion irregardless of what anyone says, including the Pope. So a lot of these things do take place, just not within the church. So marriages take place in secret, in forests, and burials take place in secret, and sermons take place on a Sunday, but in the churchyard, okay? And people sort of continue their religion in defiance of the interdict. So, you know, literally churches change up, okay? Now, we know he has support for this because the interdict lasts quite a long time, okay? The interdict lasts uh, from 1208 um, to um, 1213. So, you know, the best part of over five years, folks, the church is in this state. So for a lot of people, John, uh, well, John becomes unpopular for a lot of people. A lot of others support him. During the interdict as well, some of the priests, some of the clergy, some of the, the key priests leave England and go to France instead where they can practice their religion openly. Despite the country being under interdict from March 1208, John continues to defy the Pope. He will not accept Stephen Langton, irregardless of this situation. Okay? And so the Pope takes another step to force John to accept Stephen Langton. So in 1209, 1209, just over a year later, November 1209, the Pope excommunicates John. So excommunication is slightly different from an interdict. The interdict is when the churches are closed, the sacraments are banned. Excommunication isn't against a place, against a kingdom. Okay, so the interdict is against England. Excommunication is against a particular person, in this case, King John, and it effectively kicked you out of the Catholic Church. Which means, folks, that other Christians technically do not have to obey him. I remember, all the barons would have been Christian. So, this is a big deal. So, he's excommunicated in November at 12 and 9. Now, despite this, even still, the vast majority of the barons support John. Many would have been angry with him, many would have been upset, many would have been um, humiliated. Again, more clergy, more priests leave the country. But a lot of people support him, and we know this because it's only in May 1213 when John finally reconciles, finally makes it up with the Pope and accepts Stephen Langton. Okay, So again, a good sort of just under four years or so, John's excommunicated, yet the country continues shows you how stubborn John is as well, okay? Now, the reason things change in May 1213 uh, is for two reasons. Firstly, in 1213, he gets wind of a French invasion. So Philip II is putting together an army to invade England because whilst John's excommunicated, not part of the Catholic Church, he can legally attack England without any problem from the Pope. Remember, Popes don't want Christian countries attacking each other. They'd rather have Christian countries sailing off to Jerusalem to fight there. But you could attack another Christian country without the, uh, any problems from the Pope if you had a legal reason. John's no longer part of the Catholic Church, according to the Pope. 
Therefore, Philip could attack him. So he's beginning to raise an army. Okay, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is something that happens in the summer of 1212. Okay, which is an assassination attempt. John is um, preparing to invade Wales, okay, to, to take some lands there against a Welsh prince called Llewellyn, okay, when he hears of a plot to kill him. And the most disturbing thing for John here is the fact that they were his own barons, most famous of which was Robert Fitzwalter. His own barons were plotting to kill John. That could be for a multitude of reasons. Probably, you know, the loss of Normandy, the interdict, all these reasons. We're going to go into more reasons in the next podcast why the barons would begin to get upset with John. But for all these reasons, they'd had enough of him, and in 1212, they planned to, to murder him, to have him, you know, remove him as king. John hears of this, okay, and instead of marching, instead of invading Wales, he marches his army south to prevent the uh, rebellion. And the rebels, Fitzwalter, um, run to France but it has some important consequences he, he, John does start relaxing some of the heavy taxes that he makes but more importantly because he's aware that excommunication the interdict could be the reason for this he starts to th- come around to the idea of the fact that he's going to have to accept Stephen Langton and reconcile with the Pope get the Pope's forgiveness so French plotting to invade and some of John's barons plotting to kill him. Those reasons, despite John's stubbornness, despite the fact the church has been, uh, England's been under interdict since 1208, despite the fact in 1209 he's then excommunicated, by May 1213, the threat of a French invasion and the plot, the assassination plot of 1212, forces John to reconcile with the Pope. So he negotiates with the Pope. He agrees to accept Stephen Langton as Archbishop of Canterbury. And Stephen Langton is indeed appointed Archbishop of Canterbury in July 1213. But it goes a little bit further than that. It goes further than that. John also agrees to make an annual payment to the Pope of a thousand marks, okay, to ensure, to show his loyalty to the Pope. And beyond that, folks, he pays homage to Pope Innocent III. He pays homage to him, guys. So now, King John is the Pope's vassal. He's effectively handed over the country to Pope Innocent. Now look, John's going to continue as king. He's going to rule the country as he always has. But in theory, this is a formal acknowledgement that the Pope is above him on the feudal system. He's the Pope's vassal. Now, we could criticise John for this and say, you know, it looks weak, he's just handed over the country, he's supposed to be the king, and he's just handed over the country to the Pope. But actually, when we think about this, John could be being quite smart here. Because as the Pope's vassal, it means that John can run to the Pope if he has a problem. And as the Pope's vassal, the Pope is duty-bound to help his feudal subject he's duty bound to help him folks so it it, it ensures that the pope is on his side if you like and this is important guys because john uses this very skillfully later when we look at magna carta okay this comes up this comes into play so 
Consequences then, importance, remember 12 mark questions, not enough just to know the history, you have to know what happened as a result of it, and what it influenced and what it changed, that's your AO2, 12 markers, 16 markers on the Edexcel exam for Rich and John. The consequences then of the interdict, yes, the churches were shut, people, uh, particularly barons, would have been angry with John, the clergy, some of the clergy left, okay, it led to uh, the threat of a French invasion and the, 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 the assassination plot of 1212, also leads to John becoming the Pope's vassal. But a consequence of that, guys, is that the John now has the Pope as his feudal lord, meaning that if he needs him in a crisis, the Pope is duty-bound to help him. And in the next podcast, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you, or I'm going to tell you, why that becomes important. Guys, that's been John's uh, argument with the Pope uh, between 1205 to 1213. I hope that has been helpful for you. Keep plugging away, guys. Keep working hard. Keep that revision up. It will pay off in the end. And as always, I'll see you next time. Take care.